You're with Linda Mariano and Dr. Carl is back. From Malaysia, where I discovered that uh, laksa and beef rendang is breakfast, breakfast food. Yes, we do have that stuff in you the morning. Why wasn't yeah. I told? Why was I under the belief that you could only have uh, laksa at evening? But they have it for breakfast. So are you having a lot of like noodles and stuff for breakfast? I was trying everything that they had to offer, including apparently fish paste goes in everything, including vegetarian curries because fish is not uh, meat. Yes. Apparently. Did you have a fun time? Oh, it was so much fun. I uh, went to Sarawak and Georgetown. Georgetown is this ancient area which the British got into because it was a little island off the coast so you could have a base that was naturally fortified by having the ocean as a bit of a moat. And there's a one kilometre bit of old heritage stuff and we spent 18 kilometres walking across it. Backwards, forwards, up, down, left, right, oh getting God, lost Oh, did you do a lot of time. walking? Ah, uh, yeah. Ice tin cap and everything. And uh, eating the local food just off the street, luckily my guts were good. It's the best. And did you have lots of late night snacks too? Um, there were early starts, so I had some late night snacks. They do start later, but it was just so good trying a, a whole different range of foods of a type that I'd never had before and actually having them every single day all the time. Yum. Got to go back. Say hi to my fam. Okay, now yep. we're going into science yep. and we're kicking off with Paul from Tamworth. What's the ever... Oh, no, sorry. You Please, Paul, calm down, Paul. Dr. Hello. Paul. G'day, guys. How oh, are you? Very well. Thank you, Dr. Paul. Um, my question was, why do humans tick up? Like, what's the evolutionary advantage of that reflex? Uh, it's needed before you're born, otherwise it's a real disadvantage. So for the first nine months, you're floating around before you get born in amniotic fluid. Your lungs are full of the amniotic fluid. The amniotic fluid at some stages is virtually 100% urine. It changes as it goes through. So yes, you kids all grew up breathing your own urine in and out of your lungs. The trouble is that your lungs don't develop properly. So while you're still floating around in the uterus, you're doing hiccuping up to an hour a day to wow. force your lungs into growing and growing the right way. And it does something. Uh, in terms of being an adult, all we can find is that it's really inconvenient. I think the world <laughs> record is something like 73 years, which they cured by going into, and I quote, fierce praying, unquote after 73 years of hiccuping. Oh and I was just reading the other day that babies kick in the uterus to help mature their leg bones. They need to kick against oh. something to make their bones grow properly in the same way that if you don't, you'll just get really quick osteoporosis if you don't do any walking. So um, no reason for hiccuping except to be annoying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll be praying after 73 years of hiccuping as well. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. one three hundred o triple five three six. if you have a science question. When you get hiccups, Dr. Carl, what's your remedy? Ah, I wrote a story about this, which is a little bit unfortunate. Uh, okay, number one, uh, in surgery, you learn that if there's one remedy for something, it always works. And if there's a bunch of remedies, none of them work really well. And the really uh, good example is appendicitis. You got appendicitis, you take out the appendix, it's cured forever. No worries. But hiccuping, everybody's got a different remedy. Uh, this is slightly rude, though. Oh, too rude for radio? Okay. So what happened was that a uh, guy won the Nobel Prize for this. Uh, he was in casualty one night in Florida and a patient came in who'd been hiccuping for three days continuously. He'd um, done a bit of uh, hiccuping. He had a bit of a hiccuping history of maybe three hours at a time, but never 36 hours. And he was just exhausted and he wanted to stop. The guy in casualty in the emergency department had read a paper about... Uh, stimulating the vagus nerve to 
cure a fast heart rate and he thought he could do that with the, uh, with, with the hiccups. He tried all of the standard things like holding your nose and blowing against it and then blowing into a cardboard bag, uh, a paper bag and then breathing in the carbon dioxide and also getting the guy to shut his eyeballs and then pressing on the eyelids and that worked. For the, the hiccups stopped for as long as he kept on pressing really hard and uncomfortably on the eyeballs. And as soon as he let go, the hiccups came back and the guy was no longer in pain. And he'd read this report about somebody curing um, very fast heart rate with um, rectal massage, digital rectal ma- massage with a finger. And so he inserted the finger and then went around in a circumferential motion twice and at the end of the second motion, the hiccups had gone away. Well, that is a new one to try. Yeah, and the thing about it is that there's no Medicare rebate number for it either. (laughs) Oh, boy, we're talking science. It's nice to have you back, Dr. Carl on Triple J. Aaron from Lismore, what's your question? Uh, Morning, doctors. Um, I can't follow that one very well, but uh, my question is regarding my microwave. My mother thinks my microwave is unsafe, and her reasoning for this is... When she puts her mobile phone inside her own microwave at home and rings it, uh, she gets a busy tone and her phone doesn't ring. And when she does it to my microwave at home, it rings. And she's thinking that it's letting the radio waves in, so it must be letting radio waves out. Um, It depends upon what the frequencies are. With regard to the uh, microwave oven, it's running at about 2.5 gigahertz. However, mobile phones can work at different frequencies and it may well be that her phone is working on a different frequency from yours. Uh, secondly, the amount of radiation, so the, the frequencies don't exactly line up with the microwave radiation that you want to keep in and the phone radiation that you want to get in. So you can actually go to some of these electronic shops and buy a microwave tester. And I bought a microwave tester and I was living in the medical quarters uh, in medical school and uh, the microwave oven leaked. And what happened was a whole lot of food had been spilt in the door cavity so the door didn't shut properly. And so I just removed it with a bit of metho and then the amount of microwaves leaking through the gap dropped to zero. So you can buy one of those. But I don't know how effective that test is. I'll have to look it up, have an answer for you next week because this is part of the new year with Linda. That's Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Sammy from Byron Bay, what is your science question this morning? Hello, doctors. I was wondering the difference between ethanol petrol versus non-ethanol petrol and if there's any benefit to how long my petrol lasts if I get non-ethanol petrol. Um, the modern cars, uh, anything in the last five, ten years, can run on virtually anything and they will automatically change their internal settings, uh, how advanced or retarded the ignition is, etc., to suit anything from 91 to 95 to 98 um, and even ethanol. They'll, they'll go with all of them. The trouble with using the ethanol on the older vehicles, they don't have the smarts to be able to handle it properly, but more importantly, in some of the older vehicles, uh, the seals in the fuel system between the fuel tank and the engine are not designed to take it. Okay. So I would so check with your car okay. mechanic. So what's your car? Uh, I have a Kia. But is it a recent one or an older one? Yeah, 2016. But okay. I just never know if I should pay the extra two cents at petrol, so I'm going to get more 
time out of my skill. <laughs> okay. Um, this is the we, – we haven't quite worked out how I'm going to give all these extra answers. Uh, I will go okay. chasing this one up. Um, I don't have the full answer. I'd start off in the first case just by ringing up Kia and ask to speak to a mechanic and get them to take you through it. And, but they might give you the uh, bit of a bum's rush and not give you the full answer. Okay, so that's my second bit of homework. I'm not too sure where to put it because the old forums have sort of died, so I might have to do it as a Maybe Twitter Maybe you need feed. to tweet it. Yeah, and then hopefully set up a, a feed that people will then follow and give their knowledge because there's a lot of knowledge out there and I don't have the full knowledge on that one. So It's, it's an information it's highway. You're going to have to follow at Dr. Carl. Yeah, highway, yeah. <laughs> okay, so look, we will have a written answer, a spoken answer very quickly for you next week and also a written one. Uh, it is Triple J. It's a science hour, one three hundred O triple five three six. If you have a hot little question for Dr. Carl, which Chantal from South Kingsville in Victoria does. Hello, Chantal. Hi, doctors. How are you? Very well, thank you, Dr. Chantel. Um, I saw a movie recently where someone who couldn't feel pain got tasered and they didn't have a response to the taser, but wouldn't it be the electricity that actually immobilizes them and not the ability to feel pain? The force is strong in this Ooh, one. What was the movie? <laughs> I think you're 100% right. What was the movie? Um, it was one of those uh, girls with the drag, like the fly or hornet's nest, one of those... The Swedish films with the I can't remember. Oh, like a girl with the dragon tattoo, girl yeah, and the flying the hornet's right. nest on yeah. the moth wing. I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of those, yeah. Okay, so um, with regard to pain, uh, it turns out that every cell in your body has what's called a sodium pump. So it pumps sodium into the cell and uh, potassium out or the other way around. Uh, But uh, it's a two to three ratio. And when I went through medical school, there was the sodium pump. Now there's 23 of them. And it turns out that number 19, if you have a fault with number 19, you don't feel pain. And there's a family in Pakistan who were circus gymnasts and uh, they all die in their 20s from not feeling any pain and so they break a leg and they don't notice it. We've found a few families, very few, who don't feel pain. This is obviously an evolutionary disadvantage. Now, with regard to the taser, what it does is it doesn't slow you down by inflicting pain on you. It sets your muscles off into activity and it doesn't matter whether you feel them or not. And so you can, you're, you can no longer control your muscles. You can't make your biceps contract or release. Your muscles are just spasming and you fall over because you can't control your muscles. So I think you're 100% right, Chantel. We're starting off right now with Caleb from Narrabeen. Hello, Caleb. Hello. What's Welcome. your question? Uh, my question is, so my wife is nearly pregnant. And I was wondering what the science is behind her feeling sick every morning. She just recently started throwing up, like, on call about 6 a.m. every morning. And she vomits? Yeah. Well, it's mostly just, like, little bits of bile or whatever, that uh, liquidy. Um, But it's not quite throw up. She just feels really, really nauseous and can't can't really do anything but just throw up first thing in the morning. Okay, so with regard to early morning sickness, number one, it can be very distressing. Um, it can be not just early morning, but all day. It usually finishes in the first, at the end of the first trimester of pregnancy, but can go all the way through and can be very distressing and overwhelmingly is associated with a strong and robust baby. There's not much of a consolation while you're lying on the floor vomiting in the toilet bowl that you're going to have a strong baby in nine months' time, but still. Um, it's due to the immune system fight that goes on between the mother and the baby. So the mother owns the body, the mother owns the uterus, uh, 
but it does not own the placenta. The placenta is the barrier and it is made entirely from baby cells and it has many jobs such as being a liver and a lungs and also a bit of an immune system that deliberately throttles back the immune system of the mother so that it won't attack half the baby. One half of the baby is the mother. The other half is the father. The father's ah, DNA. And the baby's and the mother's immune system sees that as a threat. And so the mother's immune system is actually throttled way down. And so that's why in most pregnancies in Australia, the woman, when pregnant, gets a pap smear. And by the way, Mrs. Papanikolaou had one pap smear done on her every day for 30 years so that we know what a normal cervix would look like. End of diversion, back to the story. So you do a pap smear early on in pregnancy and occasionally it has happened in the past before we did this that a really small cervical cancer, which would normally take years to do anything, would, because the mother's immune system had been suppressed by the baby, would kill the mother within four months. Oh, no. So there's this battle between the mother and the baby and the bottom line is that if you're lucky... It'll be only morning, early morning, it'll finish soon and you'll have a good strong baby. And if not, look, just see the GP, see the obstetrician. There, there, there's various workarounds. None of them really work very well, but if you find one that works for you and your wife, well, mainly your wife, then you'll be lucky. There you go. So if I, can I ask a second question to do with that? Or is yeah, it, go on. So if I were to be telling her for the past few weeks that you, you've got a, like, a really strong baby in you, that would be factual, right? That is factual. Yes. yes, that is oh, a fact. Oh, great. So I, haven't been li- I haven't been lying to her. <laughs> yes. I love that he just spun that out of nowhere and it's, and it's just come out that it's actually true. Thank you for your call, Caleb. Thank you. So uh, Richie from Kuma, what's your question for Science Hour this morning? G'day, doctors. I'd just like to know that if you're, um, if you're like drunk or slightly, you know, intoxicated or whatever and you get bitten by... Um, mosquitoes. What actually happens to the mosquito? Does it get, you know, intoxicated as well? Um, according to Cameron Webb, who's the really smart guy who knows about this at the University of Sydney, there is no noticeable effect upon the mosquito. It oh, gets okay. broken down in the gut, apparently. So the proboscis is not just a syringe that sucks up stuff. It's a whole complicated organism two ways, and the stuff has to go from your bloodstream and there's a very small amount of it anyway, 0.05%. And it's just that we've got a brain that's uniquely sensitive to alcohol and it has very little effect upon the mozzies. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. Were you hoping to be hanging around some tipsy mozzies? Oh, well, because we, we, you know, got bitten last night and we're having a couple of drinks and we thought, you know, the mosquitoes going to fly away drunk or not. So, but anyway. <laughs> I will check with Cameron Webb further. Yeah, Dr. Carl this morning and Dr. James from Somerville. What's your science question? Okay, how, what is the genetic reason, or is there one, for getting an innie or an outie belly button? Uh, it's scar tissue. Uh, about 96, 98% of people have an innie. There are people who actually read belly buttons and claim to be able to predict your future from having a nice circular round one to having a horizontal one and they don't like outies much. Um, you're still just as likely to get belly button fluff collecting around the outie as the innie and it's just random scar tissue that happened to bulge outwards instead of inwards. I can give you a better answer. We'll give you a better answer next week and also on the Twitter feed. Excellent. Thank Thank you. you. All right, Kelly from Newcastle. What's your science question this morning? Okay, my science question is about guitar face. So you might notice when you watch um, your favourite musician do a guitar solo that their face gets all contorted. 
and they make an O shape with their mouth and squish their face up. And I'm wondering why. Why, why does this happen? I actually have noticed, the reason I'm asking is because my son plays guitar and he also loves drawing and he does it when he's drawing something as well. I don't know. I've noticed it's it. It's like a gym. concentration face, maybe. Yeah, but, but it's, if you're pumping more than iron. That. Yeah. yeah. But you see people at the gym and they're pumping iron really hard and there's no way that making a different shape with your mouth, you know, a V, an M, an O, or even the Q shape with the lip, with the tongue hanging out at the bottom corner, there's no way that's, that's going to make your pectoralis major stronger. But everybody does it. Don't know. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my gosh, the homework's piling up. We used to call it scrivelling when we'd see, like, little family members, like little kids that when they like our cousins and stuff that used to draw and be, scrunch up their faces. You're yeah. like, oh, they're scribbling. They're, like, scrunching, scribbling with their heads. So the face you know, mirrors like, intellectual and physical activity. I don't know. I think so. Maybe. This is an interesting one. Yeah. Just stare at yourself. Okay. <laughs> And I have an answer about ethanol. Thank you, Comrade Wheeze. Um, ethanol has a higher octane rating than petrol so that it burns more slowly. It has half, I didn't realise it was that different, half the energy density of petrol. So to equal the amount of energy in one litre of petrol, you need two litres of ethanol. So um, E10 has about 95% of the thermal output and is normally cheaper because of government subsidies. And uh, there is a claim that it's bad for the injectors. I've heard mechanics say this. Mm. I want to go chasing it up further. Okay, so we're not sure. Not sure. Not sure about not which sure. petrol. Okay, so Sia from Tatonga, what is your science question this morning? Hi there. Just wondering, is it true that when a baby's born, it's supposed to look more like the dad to prove to the dad that it's actually theirs? Um, it varies quite a bit. So firstly, um, you've got half the DNA coming from the father and half from the mother, but that doesn't mean that half is used. The amount that's used uh, can vary between 20 and 80%. So you can see a bunch of kids who look just like the mother or just like the father, but it varies randomly between that 20 and 8% with an average of 50-50. So normally you get one characteristic from the father, one from the mother and so forth down the line. Um, to clarify then, um, we've had a lot of comments from our daughter that she, and since then a lot of people have said about their children, when their baby was born, it looked a lot like the dad, and then gradually, like even with the space of a few months, it looked a lot like the mother, for example, or in this instance, obviously the opposite. But it's become more apparent to us since nursing with our daughter. So is that just something that has happened randomly, or is it more common when babies are born to look more like their dad, or just... Don't know. Uh, homework. Thank you very much. For, uh, answer next week. <laughs> I've heard that rumour as well, actually. Yeah. yeah. I've heard it. I want to find out. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for your call, Cecilia. Thank you. Bye. All right. Tyler from Kingaroy, what's your science question? G'day, guys. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, I was just uh, regarding Elon Musk's uh, Tesla and space. Mm-hmm. Um, does sound actually travel through space? Um, If space was completely empty, sound would not travel through space. So what Elon Musk did with regard to his new rocket, which interestingly is the most powerful rocket on Earth and is operated not by a government, but by a corporation 
although with a lot of government help from NASA, they helped him an awful lot. And when you do the first one, you've got to have some sort of payload. And boringly, you can go for concrete or steel. He just said, I'll put one of my cars in there, an open-topped red roadster, and then uh, put a human mannequin behind the driver's wheel wearing a spacesuit, and then launched off into space, and the car has a radio. And so the question is, um, if somebody turns on the radio, can you hear the sound? The answer is no, unless the speakers... So what, what happens with the radio? The radio uh, creates electrical waves that then go into the speaker magnet. The speaker cone then goes backwards and forwards and what it does is push air backwards and forwards which then ends up in your ear. But some vibration will also go through the metal support. So if you were wearing a spacesuit helmet and you shoved the helmet hard up against the dashboard and had the radio really loud, uh, I don't know what radio stations you could pick up there as it's heading out towards Mars and beyond, but maybe have a USB stick you know, with some music on it, then you could, I, I reckon it would be a chance you could pick it up by pressing your helmet hard against the dash, dashboard. You'd pick up some of the music. So it would be transmitted from the magnetic um, driver to the speaker cone to the supports for the speaker and then through the material from which the dashboard is made and then into the helmet and then through the air and the space helmet to your ears. There'd be uh, massive drops in sound level at each stage. So it needs that connectivity yeah, you at each that stage. Yeah. All right. Yeah, thank right thanks for your question, Tyler. Thanks, thank that, guys. Have Speaking of kind of space and speed of light, Kurt from Parawelli in South Australia, what's your science question? Hello. Um, I was wondering if I'm travelling on a motorcycle at the speed of light and I flick on the headlight, would I see the light in front of me? Um, well, firstly, you can't travel at the speed of light because if you were, your momentum would be infinite, your time would slow down to zero and your length would be zero in the direction of travel. But if you're travelling at, say, one metre per second below the speed of light you would see the beam of light take off away from you, not at one metre per second, but at the speed of light. This was the great insight of Albert Einstein back in 1905 that every observer sees light travelling at the speed of light. So the reason that you can see it travelling at the speed of light, whereas an external observer would see it pulling away from your motorbike at one metre per second, is because your time has slowed down so much. As an example of time slowing down, in a Large Hadron Collider, the uh, hydrogen ions travel at 99.999991% of the speed of light and their time slows down so much that one second for them is 11 months for us. So time does slow down. So the answer is every observer sees light travelling at the speed of light. That's cool. It's amazing that. It is cool. <laughs> it is the Science Hour on Triple J, one three hundred O triple five three six. Give us a call with your science questions. Sean from Ballarat, what's your one? Oh. Hey, how are you? Hey, good, thanks. That's good. Um, I was just wondering why I get itchy when I'm bored. Like I'm just laying down, not doing much, and then I get itchy. Ah, so um, the purpose of itches from an evolutionary point of view is to be able to pick up something that's not got lots of teeth but could still be a major threat. So a very light spider with a very nasty venom just, you know, tapping its way across your skin. The system 
relies on positive feedback all the time. And so you sometimes get fake signals coming through when there's nothing actually happening. So you look yeah, at the right. skin, you don't see anything, but there is actually no... There is a, a, an itch signal going to your brain and the nerve is firing, but it's not firing at anything. So it wants to be as sensitive as possible. And so your body will then just crank it, the sensitivity up and then down again. You're better off in this case having um, a false signal warning you that there's something there because if there's nothing there, you're okay. But bad is the other way when you ignore a spider walking across your legs. So you want to have it just a little bit oversensitive. So it will tend to false trigger. Yeah, brilliant. Wow, yeah. Cool. Um, in electrical engineering, they call this control circuits. So yep. if you're interested in it, look up Wikipedia about that. Yep, no worries. All right, thanks for that. Thank you. It is Triple J. Pinja Crow from Tasmania. You've got a science question this morning. What is it? Hello, Pinja Crow. Hello. Oh, she's gone. Ah. She's well, gone. She's absolutely gone. All right. One. Now, we've got another answer about uh, ethanol. Ethanol will, in the petrol, will damage some plastic and rubber parts and will actually etch or eat into aluminium parts. A car that is designed to run on E10 or E15 will do just fine. So long as you use the fuel up quickly. You see, the trouble is that ethanol absorbs water. And so if there's any water vapour around, suddenly instead of just having petrol and ethanol up against the parts in your fuel delivery system, you've got water as well. So the good practice with ethanol is to run the tank of E10 nearly empty so you get rid of the water as well before filling it up with some nice low water E10. Oh, but see, that's a terrible game, Dr. Carl, because oh, then I... Yeah, I keep my. I, I wait till it gets right. I'm like, oh, the light's been on for a little while. I should probably fill up petrol now. But now you're telling me that's something good I should do. It is a good thing until you end up out of fuel in the rain when you're in a hurry. Halfway a, between Canberra and Sydney on yeah. a dark night at 2 a.m., which We're, is what happened once. So, really? Yes. Ah. Terrible night of my life. Very scary. And also because when you sit in your car on the side of the road when it's pitch black highway and those trucks drive past Mm -hmm. and it shakes your car because they're going so fast, very scary. Ah, so how did you get out of it? You called somebody to come and deliver some petrol to I had to call NRMA and they were going to take ages. So I was in a convoy. There was a car that was in front of me that I was with, a group of people. They had to drive to the nearest town, take the exit, pick up petrol for me in a little jerry can and drive it back to me to a massive loop de loop Mm -hmm. and then fill it up. It Ah. was so bad. (laughs) Alexander from Nullaburn, what is your science question? Uh, Hi there, guys. Just want to say first up, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, You got through, mate. Thank you. Yeah, I got through. Yeah, it's been uh, 18 minutes on hold. (laughs) Worth the wait. What's your question? Well, worth the wait. All right, now this morning um, I pick up a work colleague on the way to work um, and in the morning uh, routine is brush the teeth, jump in the car and I've got my little dental floss. Now, uh, my work colleague has sort of looked at me and said, this has to stop. Why do you floss straight after you brush your teeth? Now, my answer is my hygienist says it's a good practice to do. Now, I'd like to know, is there any actual science behind the fact that, yes, it is proven to help or is it just a hygienist saying to do it? Ah, uh, number one, the hygienists have done a lot of training. Number two, I haven't read the articles on this, but my overall gut feeling is uh, based on years of speaking to the hygienists that the order is as follows. Number one, dental floss 
on your teeth to remove the little tiny particles that get stuck in the corners and the crevices. And by the way, you don't have to dental floss all your teeth, just the ones that you want to keep. The other ones, you can just ignore them. Uh, Then I use a little brush with a furry body on it. So that gets the bigger particles out. And then finally, that the whole area has now been debulked. At that stage, I go with the soft toothbrush, which can better push its fibres into the little gaps, mainly concentrating along the gum line. So I have this feeling, but I haven't read the articles, I have this feeling, this is speculation on my part, that firstly removing the rocks between your teeth makes it easier for the soft bristles to get in there. Is there a benefit to that? Have we got any long-term studies? I don't know. If a dental hygienist could ring up, that'd be just wonderful and point us in the direction yeah. of some papers. I'd like to know. It would be. All right, awesome. Thank you very much for that, Thank guys. You. But also, can yeah, you imagine floss. what it would be like driving to work with someone and they're flossing in the car? No and wonder little, there are other persons saying, can you please stop? And little bits of it are yeah, going like on inside the windscreen. Out. Yeah, yeah. You've got to work really hard to put a re- hand around your teeth yeah. and then make them land on your palm of your hand and lick them up again. What's your thought on tongue cleaners, Dr. Carl? Uh, very important, uh, especially with a toothbrush because they, um, that is your main source of bad breath. Not your diet, um, but the tongue in the morning after a long night where your saliva production has dropped way down and a different population of bacteria are now invading your tongue. So drink some water, eat something abrasive, but of course brushing the tongue as well removes some of the nasty chemicals that cause bad breath. I have a tongue cleaner, so there you go. So is that a curved one or a straight one? Uh, it's, It's like a steel, it almost looks like the sort of thing that a doctor would put in your mouth to look at your tonsil, like a paddle pop stick. Ah, is it straight It's like that. It, it, you can curve it though. It's bendable. And so do you stiffen up your tongue, protrude your tongue and then uh-huh. run over the top uh-huh. of your tongue? Yeah. And do you find little stuff that you then carefully inspect with your squinting eyes? I try not to look at it and oh. I just wash it down the sink. Ah. I'd no. look at it if it was me. That would be like doing a poo and like looking in the bowl afterwards. Which, well, you have to. Well, you, I guess you do, don't you? Well, if you want to, look up the Bristol scale on Wikipedia and next question. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ruby from Bondi, what is your question this morning? Hi, I was wondering why I have never had a brain freeze, but I always get like a nose freeze. Oh, really? So with regard to brain freezes from consuming large quantities of cold drink, is that the sort of situation in which it happens? Okay. Uh, We've got a reasonable explanation for why it happens, which is to um, open up the blood vessels that haven't been cooled down, which feed blood into the brain, so that instead of the brain going cold, the extra volume of warm blood going in keeps it at the right temperature. Disadvantage, you get a bit of a headache called the brain freeze. A small percentage of people, when having the same volume of cold drink, will have the brain freeze phenomenon happening between their shoulder blades. And we do not know why. And you're the first one that I've heard of having it. Now, which part of the nose? Just like the whole nose, like kind of... Yeah, the bottom, it's weird, yeah. Okay. So, so it's, it's the whole nose from, say, between yeah. the eyes down to just above the um, vermilion border on your lips and then side to side. And, and what happens yeah. to the nose? Does it, what, what sort of sensation happens in it? I, like, it's really cold, I guess. It feels really know, cold? But, Is it painful? Yeah. And I don't pain- know what a brain freeze feels like, but... Well, I think. <laughs> a special person out there with the people who feel the brain freeze between their shoulder blades. Wow. <laughs> Ruby. One of a kind. 
Cool. We are doing the Science Hour. Emma from Bendigo, you have a follow-up to something we were talking about earlier, which yes. was um, women getting morning sickness when pregnant. Yes, please. Emma? Emma, come on down. Emma! Oh, no! Emma! Oh, oh she was going to do a beautiful follow-up, but instead we'll go to David from Belverada. Hello, David. How you going? Hey, what's your science question? Um, I have a pot... Uh, with a curved bottom and a glass cooktop, when I bring water up to the boil, if I rock the pot on high heat, it'll continue rocking until the water boils. If I rock the pot on a low heat, it'll just rock a couple of times and just stop. I oh. want to know why it keeps rocking on high heat. I'm thinking that um, on the high... By the way, how curved is it? I would have thought that with the flat glass cooktop to have maximum transfer of heat... You want to have a flat-bottomed pot? Yeah, it's just slightly bowed. Um, yeah, I don't know why. but Okay, so it wasn't designed or bought that way. It just got overheated at some stage in his career or... Yeah, I believe, yeah. Okay, so I'm guessing what's happening is that on a high heat, right at where the metal kisses, will say, the water inside, you're getting water turning into steam in large quantities. And when the water turns into steam, it expands in volume by roughly 1,700 times and that pushes the water upwards, which then gives you a downward reaction, Newton's third law. So this happens slightly when it's on a low heat and massively when it's on a high heat. And so I think that's the cause that you've got enough energy from the high heat to start rocking backwards and forwards because you're moving enough water. On the low heat, um, there's not enough water being turned into steam to set off that action-reaction Newton's third law thing. Nice. That's a guess. That's a speculation. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you. That'll do. one three hundred o triple five three six. If you've got a science question for Dr. Carl this morning, we're going to squeeze a couple more in. Cassie from Geelong, what's your science question? Hey, guys. Um, I was just wondering, I heard that we're attracted to people that have an opposite immune system to us because it creates a stronger um, baby. I was just Mm -hmm. wondering if that's true. Um, Slightly true. It was done with T-shirts in the late 1970s where male and female volunteers had to sniff T-shirts and see if they were um, more or less pleasant. And the overall vibe was that women who were not on the pill were attracted to men who had an opposite immune system. The initial findings were a bit optimistic and uh, repeat studies show that there was an effect but not as strong. So there's a slight effect in that direction. Okay, cool. Lovely, thank you. Thank All you. right, I reckon we can fit in one more question, Dr. Carr. Yeah. And we have Emma from Bendigo who has come back with the comment on women getting morning sickness. Oh, Emma, hello. Hi, can you hear me this time? Yes, we can. <laughs> so what um, was your update about getting morning sickness when pregnant? Yeah, I found with my morning sickness that I um, only really had it when I had an empty stomach. So that sort of happened in the morning and when I then, like if I if I was awake during the night, which I often was because I had to pee all the time, <laughs> um, I um, I would have something to eat, like a, a dry bicky or something like that and that really helped with my morning sickness in the morning. Ah, so in your case, the symptoms were worse, sort of like a, a dry retching if you're... Yeah, yep. Right. Hang on. So it was better if you had no, if you had a little bit of food. Yes. But if yeah, you had no yeah. food, you'd be trying to bring up something, but there'd be nothing to bring up. 
Yeah, or or it just it just made me feel sick to not have something in my stomach. Ah, mm. and was the baby well and healthy and all that yep. stuff? Yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. I love happy endings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have three wonderful babies. <laughs> and Emma, just quickly, we've got about a minute or so, but you had another yeah. question about food sensitivity. Yeah, I have trouble with onion and garlic or onion family and garlic and also raw tomato but not cooked tomato. And I've always thought maybe there was something that happened to a tomato that has something in common with the onion and garlic um, that then sort of cooks out and... Um, maybe if there was some sort of food, like cheese and things sort of counteracted a little bit for me, but I thought maybe there was something, a chemical thing that happened to a tomato when it's cooked that has something in common with onion and garlic. Right, so which ones give you the symptoms and what are the symptoms of discomfort that you have? Yeah, any onion family and garlic and, um, and raw tomato. And what are the symptoms that you feel? I get a really bad bellyache and I get sort of, I get farty. And <laughs> oh, really? So gas at <laughs> one the, end? Up to the toilet, yeah. <laughs> and you have sort of crampy pains in your tummy? Yep, 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 yep. And I you feel have, really crook. And you have burps at the other end? Do you have gas coming up for yep, your mouth? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to run this past the dietitians to find that one out. So it's mm. onions, garlic and raw onions. They'll know the Raw tomato. Raw tomato, tomato. yeah. Yeah, but when the tomato's cooked, it seems to be fine. So I thought maybe there was something... That yeah. you knew of that happens to a tomato. I've sort of I've googled it a few times. I can't really find anything. Oh, no. Doctor Carl, maybe do a little homework. do a little little baby bit of homework and then follow <laughs> at Doctor Carl on Twitter. It is the Science Hour once again. Dr. Carl, thank you for returning from Malaysia and joining us this week. Oh, it was a lot of fun. I loved Malaysia, especially the monsoonal rains. I just love the oh, intensity yeah, of it. yeah, in the afternoon. Where it gets – I miss it from when I was in New Guinea for a couple of years. The rain is so loud, it will actually overcome normal conversation. Ah.